0: Welcome back to another episode of Talent Talk. It's Katie Gergen.
1: And Maggie Berkeley.
0: So everyone knows Mr. Delgado. He's one of the most well-known science teachers at CB. But what you may not know, unless you've had him in class, is that he's implementing a free grading policy. We talked more to Mr. Delgado about how he's implementing this into his classroom and some of his successes and failures. Hi, Delgado.
2: Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing really well.
0: Okay, so what are you involved in at CB?
2: Um, I'm involved in cross-country, I'm involved in vinegar, I take a trip to Yakima. I'm involved in teaching science, and also I work with the robotics team.
0: Wow, I didn't know that you worked with the
2: robotics team. Yeah, yeah. What do you guys do? Um, Right now they're working on their third year of underwater robotics. And for the last six years, we've been part of the robotics, what's called FIRST. Uh, it's FIRST program, and we do a mentoring program for those kids in elementary and middle school who are doing Lego building robots. And so it's kind of cool. You know?
0: I heard they're pretty good.
2: Yeah, they are really good. They won three first place trophies last year wow. at, uh, at the robotics competition.
1: And you said they're, like, little kids?
2: No, these are high school kids. Oh, okay. You know. But, yeah, our teams have been pretty good.
0: Are Those you the only
2: No, Ms. Hendry helps, and also Mr. Um, Brissart So the three of us, as well as uh, Dr. Chu. I don't know if you know Harrison Chu. Harrison's a, a junior, and uh, Hillary is a sophomore. And their dad is just really gung-ho about it. He works for Geyser and UC Davis, so he gets his medical students to help out as well. So he's been a real asset to the program. His kids are great, and uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun for me. Is
0: it like after school, or is it class?
2: After school and on weekends.
1: How much time does it take to be part of that?
2: Uh, they do a lot of work off-site and on their own time, so I would say probably early on probably maybe 5 to 10 hours a week, but as we get closer to competition, it ramps up to about maybe 20 hours a week, 25 hours a week, and then we go to our tournament, and that, you know, that's a whole day affair.
0: How do you manage that with, like, coaching cross-country?
2: It's a lot of work. I mean, when you think about it, we try to do things on weekends, but I also have my my wife and mother-in-law. So i got to take care of them. So we have to split the duties. Um, Cross-country, I've got a couple of really good assistant coaches, Mr. Real and Ms. Martin, and uh, that helps a lot. Uh, Then you throw in the teaching part of it, and uh, it's a lot of work. But I don't know. I've only been doing it for 32 years, so I guess I'm pretty good at it now. (laughs) Only. (laughs) Only, Yeah, uh, you're an
0: expert by now.
2: (laughs) I should be, anyway. Yeah,
1: let's hope so. So you mentioned how you only go to one Venevere every year,
2: and it's the same one? It is. It is. Several years ago, uh, I was contacted to do a Venevere to go to New Orleans, and the idea was to do an environmental Venevere. And so at that time, it was about five years after Hurricane Katrina, and New Orleans was still having a tough time with the rebuilding part of it. And uh, a lot of the, uh, I don't know, Trees and stuff had been taken out uh, due to the hurricane. And so we went back and we helped rebuild house and we helped replant some trees. Uh, actually, we planted 250 trees in a morning and then we did some planting along the Lake Pascha tree, uh, later on that day. But that was my first environmental benefit. And from there, just kind of blossomed into the Yakama thing uh, where we went up. Again, we did some restoration Reservation. Uh, I've just been doing it ever since.
0: How many years have you been doing it?
2: Four. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, either three or four.
0: What keeps drawing you back to that one specifically?
2: Number one, I, I like the whole Native American philosophy of stewardship. Um, but at the same time, I you know I've made friends in Yakima, and it's a different environment. You know, when you go on an Indian reservation, Native American reservation, you, it's not anything we've ever seen here in, in the Sacramento region. Uh, and it just, I don't know, it just opened my eyes to a lot of the um, injustices that were put upon the Native Americans. And again, I like their philosophy of life, so it's just easy for me to go back.
1: What do you think the students get from going to Yakima?
2: Well, they get a week with me. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's, we have fun. Um, I think it's nice when, when students get to see how other people live. Uh, we know that, that there's a lot of poverty on the uh, reservation, and they go without a lot because their circumstances uh, do, historically have not been good. But at the same time, when you meet some of these people, they're just, they're so happy and content. No, they know they have a rough time of things, but they're trying to make things better. They're appreciative of what we do to help them, but I think we're also, the students learn. They learn something different than what they've come from. And I think, you know, anytime you can get into someone else's culture and be a little bit uncomfortable, it's going to make you a better person.
0: Yeah, and you try to, like, teach your kids these lessons every day in class with, like, your Delgado Dailies. I do. I remember yeah. those. Yeah. Some of them,
1: like, didn't even have to do with science. It was just, like, sometimes it, like, we had to obviously do scientific notation, that kind of things, But you also, like, made us think about real life and, like, real life situations. And...
2: Yeah, I, I mean, that's high school. Yeah. To me. I mean, we, those of us who've been teaching a long time say the same thing. You're going to learn the information again if it's important in your life, but there are relationship things, there are life skills that we hope you take with you when you graduate from Christian Brothers, and then you pass them on to other people, so. And I think Yakima Venever experiences do that, too. So
0: is that kind of why you implemented the self-grading policies? Oh,
2: we're moving on to that. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. I have some really strong feelings about grades, and I understand that the colleges demand them, and I understand. But a lot of times students learn compliance with grades, and it's not about the learning. It's about the end result. And sometimes the, just, the means justifies the ends, and that to me is wrong. When students feel the need to cheat, plagiarize, copy, then what are they getting out of it? if they are only memorizing for a test and they're not learning the processes then of what value was that test other than just a number Um, and so my goal with going gradeless was simply to say to students you know you can have agency in your, your scores, your grades, your learning here in high school you don't have to wait till college to figure out how you learn best, what you learn best and you know that's why When I say gradeless, it's not really gradeless because the students are responsible for scoring themselves. And then if, if I don't feel that they're being honest or fair, then we have a conversation. And that's not always about them scoring themselves too high. Oftentimes, students score themselves much lower than I would have. And I have to go back and say, hey, you know what? Let's take a look at this again because you did this, this, and this correctly. Why are you being so hard on yourself? And so, you know, once. We get past the whole compliance thing, and students learn that if I make a mis- if I make a mistake, I can make it better, you know. And I'm learning that if I do this again, then and the result is the same, then I have to change. And so I always allow students to redo work. I let them turn things in late, uh, which a lot of people are really uncomfortable with, but. I think the bottom line is I think it works for me and my students. Not all students like it, yeah, because it's really hard when somebody says to you, when they go, "Well, what's my grade?" I don't know. What's your grade? Because they, you know, nobody's ever asked you guys to self-assess, yeah, right. right. And so when you have to judge yourself, uh, that's hard. That's hard because you always somebody else has always done that for you.
0: Would you say that's like the biggest challenge you have faced with? this policy, like just the students always, like their anxieties and stuff?
2: Yeah, I think the anxiety is part of it. I think the other thing is uh, students have become so accustomed to teachers telling them what to do and how to do it and how to earn that A that when I ask them to figure it out, there's a lot of pushback. A lot of times when I explain it to parents and back to school night. You know, the parents are sitting in the back nodding their heads like they agree with everything I'm saying, but I continue to get emails. You know, well, why did my son get this grade, or, or, you know, why can't he do this? And, or she do that? And it's like, they can't. You know, but they, they have to make the decision. I'm going to turn this in again. I'm going to do the extra work necessary to improve my score because I know I can do better. So, and that's that's generally the pushback
1: are there any like negative things that you wish didn't happen with this grading system or do you just like it how it is?
2: Oh, well, I th- you know, it evolves like anything. Um, I, for me, one of the hard things is, um, uh, there are some students who just aren't motivated and so they won't, won't turn in work. And so I have to get on them about turning in their work. And a lot of times work comes in late. Um, And it usually, you know, when it comes down to the semester grade, then all of a sudden they want to turn in a lot of work. And I'm okay with that, but it puts a lot on me to input it. But I still, it goes back to the same thing. You know, what are they learning? What are they taking out of it that can be a benefit to them when they get into life, into a job, into school, into a relationship where I made a commitment, I'm going to follow through on that commitment. I'm going to do the best I can. You know, that's one of the things my dad used to always tell me. Um, If you're going to do something, do the very best you can the first time. Otherwise, you're going to have to redo it, which takes more time, more effort, and leads to greater frustration. So it seems to work for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was it hard getting um, the administration to let you do this, or were they— No, they were
2: pretty pretty okay with it. I think uh, I was kind of sneaky— and then I waited, you know, when Mr. Orr was new, I said something to him, and he's like, hey, that sounds kind of good. Keep me posted on how things are going. Make sure you get things into the grade books so parents have an idea of what their kids are doing. I, I've tried to do that. Uh, that way parents have an idea of where their kids are. Uh, but no, I think the administration was good about letting me try it. And I think science lent itself to that. I don't know if they would be willing to let it go in other classes. But I know when I talk to other teachers about it, they like the idea, but they don't want to implement it themselves. Yeah. yeah.
0: There's definitely a lot of stress on you. Well. When like, when, like, kids are turning everything in last minute and everything just, like, piles up.
2: Yeah, it can be. But, you know, those those zeros are usually motivation to get things moving a little yeah. quicker. right? <laughs> right, yeah.
1: Yeah. What do you think is like the hardest thing for teachers to like actually implement with the grading system? Like what do you think is stopping them?
2: Without judging anybody, I think what it comes down to is the history of being a teacher and the expectation of being a teacher is that you always have control over your classroom. And that means you have control over your students. And it's hard to give that up after years and years of doing the same thing. I mean that's how our system is is it has developed over time you know we talk about the sage on the stage you know the teacher supposed to be the expert and we are there's no doubt about it we have more education but at the same time um, students have a lot more in their head and in their in their abilities than they give themselves credit for so I think teachers have a hard time giving up that control they think they're going to lose control of their classroom um, and I you know, I worried about that at the beginning too. But and I had to give up really trying to uh, hold on to that and let students make some decisions for themselves. I mean, you guys are going to have to do that. You know, for you two a year from now. Yeah. That's going to be what you're going to have to do. And so if I've been doing everything for you for 12 years and now you get out to college and somebody says, okay, here's what I need you to do, and they don't talk to you again about it until the quarter, and you haven't been keeping up on it because you don't see any value in it. Your college career is going to be kind of bumpy.
1: I remember you kept on giving us worksheets, and you were, you were like, I'm giving these to you, but I'm not assigning them to you as homework. And then I would never do them, and then the tests would come, and I'd just be like, Oh no, like I don't know what to do just because I know those are practice things that could have definitely helped me, but you just didn't like force us to do it like any other teacher would.
2: Right. Well, one of the things I've always said now in the two, two and a half years I've done this is that um, I'm trying to give you resources to help you improve. I can't make you use those resources. And I know that's really hard to do that with Honors Chem right now. And they, you know, the question is always, uh, is this going to be graded? Not necessarily, you know, but it, I guarantee it's going to help you better understand. Um, and some kids will take me up on it, some won't. But I still think, you know, in your world, everything in the digital realm is a resource for you. And so if you know how to use those, all the resources in the world aren't going to help if you don't know what to do with them you get them. So if I can train or help students understand the value of the resources I give them and realize, help them realize it's not just about the grade. It's about using those resources to improve the things that really matter. Worksheets don't always really matter. Yeah.
0: More than anything, do you think it just teaches your students kind of responsibility and like holding yourself accountable?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I like the idea, the thing that sold me on this originally was the idea that Students could retake ownership in their education. Yeah. That it wasn't me doing something to them; it was them doing something for themselves and feeling a sense of pride at their accomplishment, without me saying you're a 4.0, or you're a 3.2, or you're a 2.0.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how much weight we put on grades, like in this age. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like a big deal just for college.
2: Yeah. I mean, they say that colleges say they don't necessarily want it, but we know they do. Yeah. Because they still have to figure out 7,000 applicants and who's going to make it and who's not. So how do you do that fairly? Well, but I always ask, and so did some of my colleagues who uh, also have teachers going gradeless. They ask the same question, you know. Um, What are colleges doing? Why are we just creating numbers, making these kids numbers? And they'll say, well, we want kids who can think, and we want kids who can problem solve, but if we're telling them how to get a 4.0, and we're, and then all of a sudden, a 4.0 is not enough, so you got a 4.2, and a 4.2 is not enough, so you got to get a 4.3, and you know, who's the one that took the most AP and honors classes to get the bumps, and uh, I don't know, I don't think it's doing you guys justice.
0: No, and then they want extracurriculars and everything is. I think that's why kids nowadays have, like, so many mental health problems. It's just like it's, there's too much weight on everyone. And
2: yeah. And, and the things, oftentimes the things that don't really matter in the long term, um, a lot of importance is placed on them when you guys are young. And it's, it's too bad because, you know, I, it's a good it's a good training device to have you guys go through seven periods a day. At the same time, when you get to college, you're gonna have four classes a week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, and I mean, how many times students come back and say, oh my God, I have so much time to get my work done. You know, where with us, we're slamming you, you know, six, seven periods a day, homework in every class, and so on and so forth. So. Yeah. When
1: you say like grades don't matter, like you would always tell my chem class, like, Oh, this grade doesn't matter, but then um, colleges demand like a certain percentage for the semester grade. Yeah. Like they look at that. What do you mean by like
2: grades don't matter? Well, in the sense of it, for me I know that grades matter, and that's why I score everything out of 4. You know, or ask you to score everything out of 4 because I know that they whether I like it or not they're going to matter. But at the same time, I want you to understand what I'm trying to teach. You know, it might not seem like it's important to know how to balance a chemical equation. Well, the problem is not the chemical equation. The problem is when you get in life and something confusing sets itself up in front of you, can you problem solve it enough to find out what the answer is for you? And so all that critical thinking is happening, but so often students miss it because all they're worried about is, well, is this on, on the test? Is this going to be in the grade right book? You know, or if they don't do well and then they get, you know, something less than a an A, they freak out. They you know, thinking, well, again, in the bigger scope of things, does it really matter? So that's what I mean by by that. It's not that it doesn't matter because we all know it does. But I'm trying to reemphasize other things other than just that score.
0: Yeah, like not everyone's going to be a chemistry major. Like what's important is that we're learning how to problem solve and just like figure things out for ourselves, especially entering high school. I think it's important that we get more freedom to like make our own decisions and like, I don't know, just not be force-fed everything.
2: I agree. I, I like that idea. Uh, I wish more of us did that and more of us thought that way. I don't know. I have a lot of faith in this generation and in kids this age. And I, I say kids you know, lovingly. But I do. I have a lot of faith in your ability to do things. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. But if you're not allowed to make mistakes, then what happens when you get out in the world and you make a mistake that really matters? And it has a, a consequence. So make mistakes. If that means you put something wrong in a calculator, then let's clean it up. You know, if it means you messed up on the lab because you didn't do the right measurement. I mean, I had a student today, we were doing something in camp class, and I told him to weigh out 0.5 grams of zinc. And when I went back to look at what everybody had done, I said to them, hey, how much did you put in there? It looks like about five grams, you know, ten times as much as I asked you to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, I mean, and, did it have a negative effect on the lab no not at all but there's a, the message in there is i better pay attention to what mr gaga says or pay attention to what what i'm doing in the lab so that you know, it doesn't have a major consequence
1: so yeah and it's difficult for some people to actually listen to you when they get this freedom yeah of whatever they want to do but like in class people i know for our class people would just goof off while you give lectures or like during labs and it just like made their grades suffer because they didn't know what they were doing during the, what would you call them, what would you call tests?
2: Assessments. Assessments. Self-assessments, yeah, or assessments. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was just hard for them because they didn't know what they were doing because this was a new thing to them because they had been, what Katie said, force-fed. Yeah. All their life and it's just like eye-opening for them.
2: Yeah, there's this, uh, cartoonist, uh, Shel Silverstein. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, where the sidewalk ends, and he's done a lot of things, but he drew a cartoon once of a, a teacher opening the top of a kid's head and just pouring information in, and, and you know that's the thing that I think we've done for so long. So instead of, in some respects, teaching a current event and then relating it back to history, we go backwards and we try to show you relevance. But... We forget to connect the dots, and then we expect you to connect the dots to something that you know is so foreign to you. Um, and then we get frustrated because you can't connect the dots. But anyway, you know, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep trying to improve it. Uh, I think in the you know at the end of the year, most kids turn around and go, God, I wish I had done. And that's okay. You know, that's part of it. I wish I had. Done more of the worksheets. Yeah. I wish I had redone that test. I wish I had turned in more. But you know, it's actions and consequences, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you're definitely a teacher that your students will like remember and appreciate in the long run.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that, Katie. Thanks for taking the time with me. Yeah,
0: thanks appreciate for it. coming. Yeah, not at all. But wait, before you click off this podcast, we have a special segment for you. We're here with Isabella Warren, Talon Writer, to talk about her latest article on the Camp Rec experience.
1: Alright, hi Bella. How are you? I'm
0: good, how are you?
1: I'm pretty good. Um, so we're here to talk about your most recent article about Camp Rec. What's it mainly about? Like, what's Camp Rec?
3: So Camp Rec is a week-long camp that volunteers go to and people who have disabilities, and we basically just try and have the best week that they possibly can, And there's like a lot of activities, and they have a lot of really good friends there, and so it's something that they look forward to all year.
1: So I'm assuming you've been there? Yes. What was your experience like?
3: So I went this summer, and I really didn't know a lot about it going in. I just kind of was like, oh, this seems like a cool opportunity, why not? And then I ended up having a really, really impactful experience, which I didn't necessarily expect. Um, you just meet people that are from such a different walk of life, that have such a different life experience, and no person there is the same. And so it's really just a space that everyone can be themselves, and no one really has to hold back or hide a certain part of their personality or just any certain characteristics that they have. And so it was just a really unique environment and really inspired me to take that back into my everyday life.
1: Do you think it's, like, better to not know what you're getting yourself into before going to camp?
3: I think in my experience it was nice because I didn't really have a set agenda going in and I also didn't have any expectations, so there was no possible way for me to be disappointed.
1: fine. So you wanna you mind talking about you and your camper a yeah. little bit?
3: Yeah, no problem. So my camper's name was Christina, and I I'm really grateful that it all turned out how it was, because at first there was kind of some confusion we guys gonna have and everything. Um, but then as the week went on like every single day we just got closer and closer And now she probably calls me like once a week and recaps her life for like an hour and it's, it's great I love talking to her and it's really cool because the connection lasted more than just camp and since they are all local like she lives in Sacramento too and so it's not like I'll never see her again Like she'll be back at camp next year and everyone kind of goes to the same week And so I
0: think camp rec is really unique in that, that the relationships go a lot beyond just the week. Do you think camp rec is something you'll do like through college and stuff when you come back home? I honestly have no idea because a lot of it depends on like where I am and internships.
3: I don't know, like if it works out scheduling wise, but I have no intention to stop going. Like I think about it so much just because I genuinely love the week, so
1: hopefully. So did you meet any, like, CB? Because I know you're a transfer from St. Francis. I am. So did you meet, like, any of your CB classmates?
3: Yeah, I did. I did. CB, we had, like, three other people that were there on the week that I was. And so I obviously met them, which was cool.
1: Do you know how their experience went?
3: Yeah. I think, honestly, it's really hard to not have a good experience. Every single person that went was just, like, I didn't know. Um, and then one of the CB students, it was her second or third year. So
1: she has been a returner. So how do you think this differs between like any other summer camp that kids go to, obviously than other than like what it's like made for? Yeah, I know
3: the other summer camps that I've volunteered at, it's been with younger kids. So it's more so just like taking them to their activities, like that sort of relationship. But Camp Brook is really unique that a lot of the people are significantly older than us. So like our elders, so there's this like sense of respect there and they have a lot of wisdom and life experience. And so I think it's really unique in that and also that it's not just like you have a group of 10 second graders. Like every single person at camp has very, very unique personalities and disabilities and they all have a different reason for being there. And so every single person you meet is just so different, which made it really unique.
0: I know that Jesuit, like, that's one of the trips that they can do to meet their, like, required service hours, right? Yeah. Does St. Francis do that? St. Francis, it's,
3: like, advertised or, like, talked about as an opportunity to the students there,
0: but it's not something, there's no required service trip there. Do you notice a difference? Between the like different schools and the counselors that come, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think the Jesuit boys have
3: a much different experience because for them going in, it wasn't as much of an option. It was just kind of like, okay, I need to do one. I'll choose this one. Cool. Like got that out of the way, and some of them are there genuinely because they found it or they wanted to and stuff. But I think it was cool because all of them and all of the CP students. In St. Francis girls, everyone still had a really, really cool, unique experience, whether they were forced to or had to or wanted to or whatever. But yeah,
0: there's definitely a different motivation if it's something required versus if it's just something you choose to do. Did you make as strong of a connection with like the other counselors as opposed to your camper? I think I did, but at the same time, when you're there, you're really just focused On the day
3: or at least tried to be because it is kind of easy to get distracted because you have so many other high schoolers there and it's like a really well-known thing and so you're taking pictures and stuff like that but I think it was really important for me to just kind of be present with my camper and just get to know her and the other campers in my group and stuff so while I did get closer with the other students I think that that wasn't necessarily like a takeaway from it yeah I think if there's anything else I would say it was just that like anyone can go because it can be kind of an intimidating thing like it's a lot of responsibility and it's a week and it's overnight and you're like have a set camper. it's like a one-on-one thing but honestly like anyone can go they really help you through it and walk you through it and it's not overwhelming at all and there's always people to help you and stuff and so if anyone's considering going like don't be scared and know that like you will get help and that you don't have to like have all these qualifications beforehand.
0: Would you say that that like, everything works out how it's supposed to be in the end. Yeah, like, for sure. Like, everything just kind of falls into place. And there are a lot of
3: people that have been going for a lot of years, and they really know what they're doing, and so they are never, like, confused or anything.
1: It feels like, in a way that you're, like, in the way that you're explaining it, it seems like you also feel like you're a camper, in a way. Yeah, no, you get so much more out of it than you get probably, which I feel
3: like it's like that with most service opportunities it's like you go there to help but really you're just taking so much out of it Um, so yeah it's like you're learning from them and they teach you so much and so it's like then it feels like i'm not even there for anything for them so all
1: right thank
0: you for coming in it was a pleasure having you thank you for tuning in to this episode of talent talk everyone be sure to go check out Isabella's article camping with compassion